You are listening to the New Street X podcast, where we interview people who understand the intersection of physical and digital collectibles. We're entering an exciting world in the collectible space that involves things like sneakers, NFTs, trading cards, fashion, sports, pop culture, and much, much more. And these things are coming together. So we're here to talk to people that understand that, people that are really building the future of collectibles around the world. Thank you so much for listening. Please follow us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, and hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the New Street X podcast. I'm excited to have here today Vivian Zhang. She is the founder and CEO of Solaire. Vivian is a fashion executive turned tech startup founder. And with Solaire, she's building Web3 commerce infrastructure to connect and automate the consumer sector across fashion, sports, entertainment, and culture. Vivian, thanks so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me, Tony. Such a pleasure and honor to be here. Oh, that's very kind of you. I mean, I'd love to hear the story about Solaire and yourself too. However you'd like to start, maybe we could start with what were you doing right before Solaire and what was your like inspiration to start the company? Yeah, so I've spent all of my career in luxury fashion and consumer in the, in, in the consumer sector. So I've witnessed, not that old, but I've definitely witnessed and experienced the evolution of commerce from brick and mortar to commerce one, which is the big online marketplaces, even Amazon. Commerce two, the rise of Shopify, of direct-to-consumer. And what we are now is social commerce and re-commerce. So I've definitely experience and live firsthand the evolution of consumer behavior abled by business models and technology. So now I'm witnessing another trend that will really revolutionize the consumer behavior again, which is driven by blockchain. And that's why I quit my job to start this business about a year and a half ago. Hopefully it will be one of the key contributors to keep the movement forward. Well, I'd, I'd love to get maybe just even a bit deeper on like, you know, fashion means obviously a lot of things, there are a lot of types of companies. You know, someone whose background is more on the design side of things, someone's background more like the retail side of things, someone whose background is more like the marketing or like supply chain. What part of the fashion, and I know you've kind of worked across a lot of companies, maybe maybe the answer is several, but where does most of your like experience in the fashion and luxury world uh, exist in those like different like sectors? Very, very good question. So I started in the design department, but then soon I realized that like when you when you look at fashion companies from the outside, the designers is, are usually like the start of, of the show. But behind the scenes, it's the merchandisers, the business people that are actually driving the ship. They are the ones that are telling designers in most companies, how many pieces do I need in my in, in the next collection? What are the price points that I that I need to hit? What is the market feedback? And how you should design the next collection because the, the collection has to sell. It's a business of fashion. So that's when I moved into merchandising. And merchandising is all about data. Knowing how your collection is performing from the last season, knowing how your competitors are performing, knowing what are the trends in consumer behavior and market trend. So then you can use all that intelligence to better plan and to inform your counterparts. So how do we plan for our season next? For the next season, including things like pricing analysis, inventory planning, allocation, how many pieces goes to e-commerce, how many pieces goes to what location and what what's, what store. So there are a lot of uh, moving pieces that goes into a fashion collection. And that's actually why I think that the, the movement of blockchain is going to be huge for the industry in terms of data collection. That is so interesting. I actually had no idea like the intricacies of how that works. So sounds like your, your background in fashion was like, merchandising seems to be 
it, let me know if I'm understanding this correctly, because again, not an expert here, K- kind of maybe like the product manager of a particular line or brand or label where you're kind of analyzing what does the market want here? How do we position ourselves against competitors? What should we be designing in terms of the types of clothes or whatever? How we should be like sort of pricing it? Is that right? Like the right way to think about the sort of element of fashion that you're probably most involved with? Absolutely. Yeah. So you're like the business manager of a design company, of a fashion company. Yeah. And marketing, and they work in tandem with the marketing team. Marketing team is more about customer facing. So there's a lot of shiny and glossy things. How do we best sell, best position the product with the right message to the customers and sell them? But a lot of that starts from merchandising. We have to have the good product first. Then we can think about how do we market it to the customers. Got it. That That's really interesting because, I mean, I've talked to some folks who are in fashion, but they come purely from like the design side of things or play from the marketing side of things. But I like how, you know, you you come from a more of a holistic business view, which sometimes, you know, in the Web3 space, which we'll talk about later, the sort of business model of construction of a lot of Web3 companies is sometimes lacking. But anyway, I'd love to know how you got into Web3 and, and blockchain and NFTs, you know, the world that is, is, is clearly, you know, from a technological perspective and business model perspective, affecting a lot of different types of companies. Though, you know, going through ups and downs of adoption, which again, we'll talk about later. But what was your first sort of interest in in blockchain technology and NFTs and Web3? Uh, how did you get into that space? Yeah, so it was obviously in during COVID, like everyone else, sitting bored at home in front of a computer. I was just seeing the hype of NFTs. So I was like, what is this digital art thing? So I looked into it and then I realized that, that's te- that, the, that the technology behind it, blockchain has so much merits to it that it can really move the needles on a lot of things. However, I'm also disappointed on how the word, the the product NFT is being used. It is a great tool that can do many, many things. It's not a product itself. It does work in what, you know, in the form of um, a digital art, but that is not its only purpose. So, and and I was very happy to see the adoption of many fashion brands during COVID of NFT technology. But I always feel like they're missing the mark just a bit. A lot of them think that NFT Web2 is a marketing tool. It's a way for you today to uh, to get to your younger audience. However, the audience that you're talking about are um, traders. Of, of, are, of, I don't want to use the word crypto pro, but the, but the but the people that are deep in Web3 or NFT and, and you know hoping to make money from flipping an NFT. So they're not your target audience. Um, yes, you are culturally relevant, but if you can, if you think that selling NFT can be a, a can be a new business, then you're completely wrong. Which is why when the hype of NFT is over, everybody withdraw from Web three. Basically, I think Web three now becomes this like sort of a danger word that people don't want to be near. And I think that I wanted to correct the thinking in a way to really demonstrate how, what is the real purpose of NFT? What can it actually do for your business? How you can actually generate revenue and data leveraging NFT. NFT itself is not a product, but it can help you to sell your your product in a much bigger way. So so it sounds like, you know, you obviously had the, the fashion background and mindset that allowed you to see opportunities in that industry. And then you discovered blockchain and thought about it, you know, in a in a fairly specific, thoughtful way about how that could be applied to fashion. Maybe like, can we walk through, you know, how does so so where's Solera at right now? How does it work? What would um I guess the customer journey be? And and let's get maybe more to the specifics of how the company and the, the product works. 
Yeah, absolutely. So my way into blockchain, the first thing I see was not Bitcoin, but I see a major data infrastructure upgrade. Like if you look at where we are today, um, you know, we had hard drive and then we had cloud storage. Um, but the next, but but the point is both hard drive and cloud storage, we're, we're talking about isolation of data. Data is not shared, data is private, meaning for a brand, if I've sold a, a product, if a customer left uh, the store with my product, I have no idea where it went. Even though the product probably has a life of its own, whether it was gifted, resold, um, whether it went to a landfill, there, there are many things that would happen to the life cycle of the product I have no that have no insight into. Same thing with uh, with the cons- uh, with the consumers. When a customer left your store with a product, is this customer regifting it? Is the customer reselling it? Is the customer a collector? Is the customer a general consumer? You don't really have that insight. And I think now, if we can upgrade the basic data infrastructure to blockchain, it's secure, it's tamper proof. And the point is that now you can keep track of your product, even if it left the store for data and for revenue and for better engagement with your customers. Obviously, we're not doing that just for the purpose of tracking. There are lots of utilities that is involved to the consumer as well. It's your authenticity. It's your proof of ownership. It's your way of constantly getting the latest information and data from your brands. It's a tool for you to resell. It's a tool for you to gift. It can do many, many, many different things. Which is why that I think if we want to boil it down to what blockchain can do, it's really around IP protection. I know that I started in fashion, but I really see the use of blockchain in all areas. And which is why we're also in sports, in music, in fine art. The idea is if you are a, say, a sports team or an athlete today or a musician, your IP is being packaged into different forms, different medium and being delivered by intermediary to your fans. Your fans are buying you the IP. They are not really buying just the content or just the merch or just the tickets. But there's no way for you to track the worth of your IP, the monetization value, as well as who your fans are, because the data is now being held by the intermediary. But now if you can move all of that content or merch and deliver your IP on blockchain, you can easily track what is the total worth of my product, who are my consumers, how are they spending money with my IP across various channels, what is the lifetime spend with, with me. So with that, and then, and then you have a tool to directly communicate with the end consumers. So I think this is a huge game changer for the industry. I don't want to give names, but there's one super well-known football team in, uh, in Europe who boast about having 350 million fans. When they were presented with a major sponsorship deal and the sponsor asked, can I have your fans uh, contact? They realized, oh, we only have one, about 1% of our fans uh, contact information. So I think, you know, that's a huge, and then as a result, the sponsor had to, had to significantly reduce the sponsorship amount because there's no value in, in sponsoring this major team with a huge influence. So that's just one way of saying that data is money. Knowing who your audience is, knowing the worth of influence is money. So if you cannot capture that, then you're leaving money on the table. And I, I think, I mean, not to call it out, but that's, you're talking about Barcelona and Spotify, right? With that 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 deal that they had yeah, going on. Okay, that makes sense to me from like, you know, again, to broaden the conversation to be not just fashion, but any sort of IP holder. So I guess maybe like taking it through this, like let's say, because I know you already have are working with some partners and of course, work in progress to get as many on board as possible. Some of them are fashion brands, some of them are sports teams. So could you walk me through like, 
I think I understand the value of data for like a B2B customer. But let's say you're working with a fashion brand and you are uh, selling them on the idea of what Solaire can bring them. How does that process work? So like, let's say, I'm just gonna make this up. Like, let's say I'm, I'm, I run Burberry and I'm working with you, Solaire. How would we work together and how does that actual software work? Yeah, so we give you a tool to create what they want to call it, a digital twin or a blockchain certificate of your product or a product digital passport DPP to be EU compliant that is matched one-to-one to, your, to the physical product that you are selling. And with every product and with every certificate, you can put in all the, in any type of information that you want, whether it's pictures, videos, talk about the material, the storytelling, the craftsmanship, what are the benefits, what are the, what are the, um, the perks that you get from owning this product. You can put anything in that NFT. And I came from the jewelry industry. A big utility for high-end jewelry is the ability to include all the certifications. With one piece of jewelry, it might come with 50 or 100 different gemstone certifications based on the design. So you can package all of that into one file. And that is on blockchain, so you can deliver that to the end consumer. So for the consumer, this is your authenticity. This is your ownership proof to prove that now you actually own this piece of product. And this is where the consumer wallet becomes a central piece of that. Because think of that like your your bank account on blockchain, where all of your possessions or your assets goes in there. So then you can easily see what you own and can easily manage it from there. So that's step number one. So think of us like the last mile delivery of delivering the the ownership of a physical product on blockchain from businesses to the customer. Step number two is now I'm the customer from my digital wallet. What can I do with my product? If I want to gift it, I need to transfer the ownership to someone. You can do that easily on your, from your wallet. If I want to resell it, which is where I think the game changer will happen for the industry is historically without blockchain certification, without the ability to trace its provenance, you have to rely heavily entirely on a resale marketplace to authenticate your product. The typical process is you ship it to a third party marketplace. They authenticate in their warehouse. They tell you whether it's, whether they think it's real or not. And then they authorize the, the sale to the buyer. So, and then you, in return, you pay them a hefty transaction fee that's upwards of 20%. But now with transactions on blockchain, you can prove that the product is authentic, where it came from. I am the real owner. And what are the content that goes with it? And even with warranty, if your product has warranty, when you resell it, the warranty will travel with it because that goes with the product in the NFC certificate. So then now you can resell it peer to peer anywhere, which just came up with a new term yesterday called anywhere, anytime, anyone commerce that you, I can, I can share something on Instagram, share, tag it to my entity saying that I own this and it's available for sale. You, the buyer, when you discover it anywhere on social media, you will be invited into viewing the NFT ownership to verify the information and see what you are getting. And then the smart protocol will facilitate that peer-to-peer shipping and that um, and that transaction. So then the ownership and the payment will be held in an escrow to allow time for shipping and for dispute management. You, the buyer, receive it in the mail, and then you uh, verify the physical product. Then you let the smart contract know, am I accepting this order or am I returning this order? Based on your decision, the smart contract will automatically complete the transaction. And for the customer, if the transaction goes through for the seller, what they will, they will automatically receive their payment from the smart contract. 
minus the royalty, which will always go back, or oh, oh, we're calling authentication fee, that will go back to the original brand owner as a way to thank them for making product that is wanted or high demand in secondary market. And also so thank them for authenticating the product on the get-go to make it easy for everyone else. And the platform fee, if, if there's a platform fee. So then the, mar- the, the model is much more efficient, removing the middleman we're not relying on a, in my opinion, an unqualified third party to tell you whether your product is real or not. And then we are rewarding every single party involved in the process so that it's a win-win-win situation. This is what we call that, I think, commerce three. It will be the merge of social commerce and re-commerce. Re-commerce is referring to you know, circular fashion where things are being reused and resold. And I really think that talking about the next gen, gen Z consumer behavior, besides Web3, besides being digital savvy, I think circularity, sustainability is definitely at the core of the of the new generation. And, it, and it's an area to not be neglected, especially when you can make money and when you can get data from it. Another really interesting piece that I can see here is from a, as a former merchant, right? You always con- talking about new customer acquisition, which on average costs a brand typically between five to ten dollars, depends on the category for marketing, advertising. But now, if you know who are your secondary shoppers that has never shopped with you for various reasons, whether they're aspirational customers that are buying their way into a full price item, or there are individuals that are too busy to fight for the limited edition, so they're much rather paying more money in the secondary market, buying from someone else. So those are your customers that you can now easily communicate and be able to identify them. So this is where blockchain becomes essentially a free new customer acquisition tool besides the data, besides the royalty payment that you can receive. This is a very comprehensive and I feel like it's the confluence of a lot of macro trends in like fashion technology, consumer behavior, but also very tangible value propositions, both for the customer and for the brand. So again, if I were just like think through and let me know if I've got this right, right? Like let's say I'm a a jewelry brand that that I own. And then I work with Solaire. I use that technology to help me create like digital twin versions of my jewelry products. Then I can tell that when my jewelry product is sold to this person, person X, one, the blockchain like certificate serves as like authenticity and provenance where maybe even like storytelling can happen there where it's like, okay, this is verified. It's part of like this collection. Maybe it was even owned by like a famous celebrity beforehand. Then like step two, I, as the jewelry brand, can input some like benefits, maybe like token holding, like program upgrades and stuff like, okay, by being the owner of this, you get invited to like exclusive VIP parties or whatever, or discounts and future events, so however you want to position that. And then three, when that person sells on like a peer-to-peer, sec- like on sort of like a peer-to-peer uh, reseller model, sells it to someone else, then that person who who then is the new owner can trace all the way back that it's authentic from like my initial brand. And then the brand itself, meaning in this case, it's me, I also get a percentage of that sale, which again, like solves a lot of problems along the way. And I think, I don't know anyone else doing this exact thing. Is that, did I, did I get that right? That sort of like circular model there? You were absolutely spot on. Yes. And then there are obviously many other benefits that goes with it, like the extension of warranty of product care and all of that stuff. Now that's missing in the secondary market. If you buy something, you lose all the privileges that you that the previous owner had with the brand. But now you can actually buy that as part of your purchase and, and inherit all of that from the last owner. Yeah. I, I also am really curious to get your take on, you know, secondary markets in general, right? Like, I mean, in the world 
that of what we kind of fo- like focus on New Street and stuff. Like I think about secondary markets for like sneakers, but also things like streetwear and like luxury goods. And also you have other markets. But I think about, let's just take shoes, for example, Nike and Adidas, you know, they probably wish they could get a percentage of what StockX makes in terms of revenue because they're like the, you know, at the end of the day, they produce the product. But we also think, you know, these companies are sometimes in legal battles, but also they realize that the hype and the demand that comes from secondary markets helps just strengthen their brand because people like Nike seen as desirable. And I know that in like, let's say Depop or other like more fashion related like resale markets, let's say I'm a a luxury brand. How how does a luxury brand feel about the current state of like secondary markets and reselling and platforms like Depop? Is this something that they view as a challenge as good or bad? And and I'd love to like kind of, how does your platform like address how, how these brands feel about resale markets right now? Yeah, so I think resale, everyone understands that resale is happening with or without you. So you luxury brands typically has been in denial of a luxury brand because they feel like of the luxury resale because they think that it's, you know, it's it's hurting the brand and, and they pride themselves in not offering any discounts. But then they soon realize that the young consumers care about sustainability. They think wearing vintage pieces is cool. And also there is an element of why leaving money on the table when the market can, you know, essentially it's a much more efficient market. Think about the math here. If you sell a product for $5,000 for the first time and it gets resold 10 more times for say $2,000, the the cumulative value actually, you know, outweighs the first time sale. So why leave money on the table when you can be a part of it? Their biggest concern is historically, number one is diluting the brand. Number two is brand adjacency. Like they don't want to, they don't want, you know, their, say, Louis Vuitton next to a Gap t-shirt on the same marketplace. They feel like, you know, like it's the same as when you go to a mall. You t- Typically, you will see a luxury wing where all the luxury stores are together. So what they've been doing is, and is that now that's why you see a lot of luxury only resale marketplaces and their whole selling point is this is luxury only. This is the luxury mall. And then we, we, and we assure authenticity. So different brands are approaching it differently. For example, LVMH, I think they are definitely one of the visionaries in capturing the web three, a blockchain opportunity for authenticity and for resale. For that reason, they even built out their own blockchain to do that. And then they are inviting various luxury brands to join them. So in a way that they are providing data transparency, they are providing resale opportunities, but still in a closed format. And some of the other brands, how they're approaching resale or re-commerce is the buyback model, which is you you can, after you sell it, you can sell it back to my, uh, to my platform. I might or might not pay for it, but... We, but we have the power to dictate pricing. So then we know that you are not overcharging, undercharging. However, this is really against consumer behavior because as, as a customer, we just want to sell wherever we can get the most, the highest pricing, whenever I can get the most exposure, whenever I can find the most like-minded community. So those things doesn't really attract me to become your customer and sell it back to your platform, which is why I'm encouraging these brands to think differently. And that's why we are designing our tool to be a true infrastructure tool, meaning that give the power to the consumers. They can choose where they want to sell, to whom, on what platform, and you will have influence over them, say, whether it's AI pricing directly in the NFT and say, if you wanted to resell this product, this is, you know, what we think is the market value. 
and then let them pick a venue to sell. Let them choose who they wanted to sell. And also be able to capture that data, right? Like today, if your customer sells your things on other platforms, you have no idea how much it was transacted for. By leveraging blockchain, by giving them the tool to resell easily, you can capture all of that data and be able to influence on pricing. I believe that enforcing pricing is never the solution, but you can influence them and let the market decide what the fair market value is. No, that's that's super powerful for brands. It kind of makes the resale model like just more of a win-win for everyone, you know, like whether it's the brands people like uh, who are selling it themselves. It's interesting to me, like, I mean, to me, the fashion angle makes sense. And I think about whether it's talking about more accessible fashion to luxury, I understand there. I understand like how a team might want this maybe for like memorabilia or like jerseys or, you know, shirts from memorable events, even like bands, right? Like sport, like uh, musicians or bands who have their own memorabilia and high quality apparel that's um, somewhat collectible. When you think about the types of companies that make the most sense for, for Solaire, and I know you work with several types. Do you see like certain brands? Like, do you do you envision a world where like eighty percent of the platform will be focused on luxury fashion, or is it shoes, or is it teams? Is it really anyone? You know what I mean? Like, how do you think about different segments and who who you want to work with with Solaire? Yeah, I think different segments. I mean, well, I would think that anyone could use the blockchain tools that we built or someone else built. But there are different use cases. In the world of luxury, um, which I think comes in, you know, hand in hand with memorabilia. Um, the idea is, I was, now I'm thinking like developer terms. It's like open source, right? If you back something on blockchain, you only need to do it once. The current problem with luxury goods, fine art or memorabilia is every time a transaction happens, someone different person, different party will go in and authenticate it, provide a different opinion. The provenance is all over the place. So if, so for those high value, high demand, high trading frequency items, if they can be transacted on blockchain, authentication work, provenance work only need to be done once. Everything else is automatically registered. So it makes the process a lot more streamlined, a lot more transparent and a lot more efficient. For some of the lower value product that doesn't have a high trading volume, it's not completely off limits. Last year, when we were starting out, Metaverse was still in high demand. The idea is if you're buying a physical product, how do I give you a different sort of experience that will enrich your your customer uh, enjoyment beyond just wearing it physically? And that's when maybe you get an avatar um, wearable. Maybe you get a digital wearable in whatever game. So all of that in that digital wearable can be an NFT or not. So all of that digital experience can also be packaged in an NFT because historically, how are you going to deliver that? You can send a customer an email that they might or might not read. And when they resell it, they have to find those links or when they gift it, they have to find those links and transfer to the next person or email them. But if you can package that in an easy way for the customers and they receive all of the benefits in one, when they resell or gift it, they can also give that away. And even better, like if I'm a person who actually enjoys the digital world much more than the physical product, you know, your item is not completely, you actually gain a new customer because your customer who would not otherwise buy your physical product is not consuming your design, your IP. So there are many different ways that you can leverage the technology and I also wanted to encourage the industry and the brand to not to think that, you know, Web3 is a hassle to get into because it's difficult to use, that it's that it's a higher requirement in terms of being able to adapt some of the tools for your business. 
think of that like an easy, easy, practical business tool that can actually help you to make your business more efficient, get much, much more data, as well as expanding your revenue channel. So it is an investment that will actually generate return. I, I like how you know you kind of frame Web3 and blockchain from kind of business terms where it's like, how does this affect your bottom line as a brand? And sometimes in the past, you know, for, for better or worse, the idea of, let's say, doing an NFT project that's sponsored by Mercedes or whatever brand and fashion brand was kind of maybe for just like the sake of PR and just saying like, oh, we're like world first in fashion to do an NFT. And obviously there are some goals accomplished with that, but I like how you ground it in tangible business solutions. Uh, and maybe this is a good, good sort of like segue into the overall world of like, let's say Web3 and fashion and retail. I, I would imagine at the same time, you know, you're working with a lot of partners and the whole topic of blockchain has evolved over several years now. But do you find that, you know, when you frame it like this, I think it makes sense for someone to understand if they work at a fashion brand, as an example, the value of of Solaire and, and blockchain. But what what's your current take on the psychological or like sentiment willingness for brands to adopt blockchain solutions? Because I think the la- if we look at the last two years, there's been a lot of ups and downs in terms of like the perceived value of things like NFTs, which we talked about at the beginning. But do you, do you find that there's a, a pushback when it, when when these topics are being brought to maybe some of these older fashion brands, uh, or do you feel like you know on a case by case basis some brands are very open to this? Yeah, good question. Well, I think the mindset have definitely shifted between last year and this year. Last year, when you speak to a brand about Web three or blockchain, their response is "Tell me more. I'm interested." They think that's the future. This year, if they're not well-versed in Web3, their first response is, oh, no, we don't do Web3. It's not for us. So I think education is still a key piece in it, is that the way to learn about Web3 technology itself is to not to see what are some of the past projects that's been done out there, given the fact that I don't think they were, they had tapped into the full potential of NFT yet. I would, and then there are, there are obviously a lot of organizations and, and, and companies that are doing a really good job at leading by example of what NFT and blockchain could do. But I think it will take time for the general public, for the mass market to understand how that works. And, you know, even I was just talking to a friend yesterday about this. He was sharing the experience of one of his friends who is a holder of a major luxury brand's latest NFT drop. And he was disappointed because he felt like he paid a lot of money to become a, a member of the club. And the benefits he gets was keep, you know, selling you more pieces. Like the, like I paid a lot of money to be, uh, to be sitting in a sales room where I'm being pitched to, to spend more money. So I feel like the mentality needs to shift. NFT is not a cool toy to attract people in so then you can, get more value out of them. You have to create value for the users, for the end consumers, for them to engage with you more. NFT is a tool. NFT is not a product. I think this major mindset my mindset shift has to happen for mass market adoption. I don't know if we will be the company to do it or someone else will, but I think if more of us can put our heads together and lead by example, I'm confident that this day will come and hopefully soon. Now, I know you mentioned earlier like LVMH, for example, as a brand that seems pretty open-minded when it comes to Web3 adoption. And, you know, were they behind Aura blockchain? And of course, like, you know, there's stuff with Ramoa and Tiffany. But is that a brand that you'd say is leading the way when it comes to Web3 adoption done right as a brand? Or are there others that you'd also maybe highlight as, as examples? Yeah, if I can be brutally honest, I think that 
that the idea was great, but I think the the execution needs to be modified. I was just talking to another client of ours who's in the fine art space who were thinking about a similar model. But the idea is when you have a consortium of multiple brands that essentially carries equal weight in managing uh, a nonprofit organization, it, it, it becomes a difficult, it's, it becomes an inefficient organization because there's no clear leader, there's no clear vision. Everybody wants different things. And it's a very gated situation where members put in their requests and then the, non- and then the nonprofit team and their own dev team is supposed to build out that technology based on a specific member's requirement. So I think the idea is good to have a private blockchain for a certain select group of um, companies. But I think in terms of how do we better manage the organization of this type of entity, whether it's a DAO format, whether it's a consortium format, I think that still needs to be refined. But either way, I still think that LVMH along with Aura Consortium are very, they're, they're definitely the visionary in terms of leading this movement. And they're also spot on in saying that the key to Web3 or blockchain adoption is not Web3, but Web2.5. There has to be a middle ground. There are, it cannot be true decentralization. There has to be a level of centralized leverage or resources so then brands can actually see the return on their consumers. Um, no, on, not on their consumer, but the return on their investment and create value for their consumers. So then it's a win-win situation. A truly decentralized model does not work, which I agree 100%. No, it, it's interesting to see how there's kind of like an evolution of different ways brands are experimenting. Like I remember when the Aura blockchain was created like a few years ago to figure like, you know, more about authenticity and provenance. Then you see, let's say, big luxury fashion brands. Like I'm thinking about, is it Dolce, Dolce & Gabbana that did like these like, very big kind of luxury physical digital item uh, auctions that are worth millions of dollars. And, you know, arguably, I don't know, like maybe that was, I don't know what your, your take is on that. And then now I think you see less of the fidgetal kind of offerings at a high end versus let's say a year or two ago, more there's like kind of, from what I'm seeing, more focus on membership, loyalty programs. How can this be something that gives back to a community? If you think about the evolution of those things, like how have you viewed what, like, what, what would, I guess, like, what, what would have you have done, for example? Like, if you were the CEO of Dolce & Gabbana, maybe not Dolce & Gabbana, they've got not always great press, but let's say you, you, let's say you were the CEO of a LVMH brand, uh, what do you think is going on in their heads right now? And maybe what would you do, like, differently versus what they have done in the past? Because there's been, like, a lot of ups and downs of it. Yeah, I would basically do a full infrastructure upgrade of critical elements of our company's tax stack from Web 2 to Web 3 and say certain elements of business, maybe it's the high price. You you obviously don't want to do a full takeover just yet, but start with one collection, start with one sector and see what value it can bring. And following the same exact model that I shared, how do you better use Web 3 and NFT and blockchain tools to solve the existing problems in your business, whether it's delivery of digital content, whether it's customer engagement, whether it's uh, being able to capture value or have a contained resale model. So all of those stuff, now you will be able to do at least a test run. I think, you know, the, the Dojo Gabbana model is good. You can obviously do that from time to time. It's leveraging NFT as a membership card to provide you utility. Nothing wrong with that. NFT or blockchain would also be a good tool for loyalty points. You know, you can have form a group of luxury brands, almost like American Express points, that when you buy X amount from 
one brand, you can get benefits or exchange for things from a sister brand. All these things are valid. But I think the, 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 the recurring theme here is that NFT should be the underlying technology that drives efficiency and cost savings and revenue generation for your, for your business. NFT itself should not be your product. I hope that, that answers the question. Yeah, no, totally. And I'm also curious, considering the type of companies you work with, I, I see like, not exhaustively, but maybe two of the big groups are, are fashion brands, companies, and like sports entertainment companies. What, what would you say is like the biggest difference in like how they are approaching things like reselling or blockchain? Like what's the difference, like what's the biggest difference between the incentives of a fashion brand versus let's say like uh, a, a team or artist? Yeah, so for a team and artist, it's really about know your fans. It's about building that communication channel, knowing who they are. And because there isn't that much of a, a resale, a, a high resale market for these people, unless it's it's in the memorabilia category. Otherwise, it's really about building the experience. I was talking to one sports team not long ago, and they were just talking about how do we deliver exclusive content? Typically right now, all of, all of the teams and athletes and musicians are struggling to monetize from content because they're just free flowing everywhere. But if there are certain content that you can deliver or share with your fans as an add-on from an, an existing purchase using NFT as the tool, then in a way you are monetizing on your content. It's also a way to prevent counterfeit in your physical merch. Believe it or not, even though it's only $40, $50, sports jersey counterfeit market is huge. Um, so that's also a way for them, say, you know, deliver monetize from content, prevent counterfeit, and also know your fans and be able to engage with them further. So I think all of that three will become, you know, that becomes a no-brainer for these brands to leverage Web3 tools. Another cool, interesting element is from the ticketing perspective. Same idea, you know, you sell a ticket to, you release your tickets to a platform they they release them all, all they resell them you have no idea who you are who's the person who ended up paying much more money than your original sale price to come to the game and see you you have no idea who they are you have no idea how much they paid and the extra profit does not come into your pocket so how do we change that how do we actually reward the ip that actually that was the main factor that you actually get money out of this fan and for that fan how do i actually get have a way to communicate with my supported IP that I'm actually your super fan. I'm spending a lot of money. Please see me here. Right now, there's no way. So I think blockchain becomes, from a data perspective, from a communication perspective, it's a huge shift. Another interesting tool that we are experimenting is to create that super fan experience. Say, you know, leveraging the latest standard, 651. The idea is if I go to a game, I have a ticket, maybe there are digital collectibles that comes with a ticket. So I have everything in my wallet. And then I was lucky enough to either get a picture with the player, with the team, or maybe even get autographed. How do I document that piece of memory that is so precious to me? And either, you know, save it with my ticket, save it with my jersey, whether I want to gift it, pass it on to someone, whether I want to resell it sometime down the line. How do I prove the prominence or the authenticity of, say, a signed ticket or a signed jersey? So blockchain becomes a really, really important tool. Uh, and I'm sure you know provenance is everything. My partner is a huge Beatles fan. He spent a lot of money on Beatles autographed photos. Um, it's, it's really interesting to see, like, when you see the picture itself with autograph, it looks 
plain to me. It looks, it looks, it, it looks bland. But when you actually see the provenance, where the person, the originator who got the autograph, telling you what was the situation, how did this person get the autograph, and then you have a witness who also provided a statement saying that yes, I was there. That's what happened. And 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 when you see the little disjoint in the line because they actually had to switch to a different pen, the last pen went out of ink. So that's what. So it's, it's the story itself that makes the product authentic, that makes the product interesting. So I think in anything that is fan engagement or super fan experience, NFT is a super good tool for other fans to create their own memory or for the or for the IP to deliver that authentic memory to their fans. No, this this has been a, a fascinating conversation, you know, across like so many different trends, whether we're talking about sports, fan engagement to fashion fashion brands and, and provenance to the dynamics of like reselling in the circular economy. There's a lot of these like really interesting trends where Solaris seems to be sitting right at the middle of it all. Out of things maybe like we haven't discussed is, is maybe just a broadening the question here. Is there any other like, I guess, topic or trend or company or technology or just, I guess, something related to what we've discussed that we haven't brought up yet that you're really excited about these days? Yeah, well, I agree that I think we've very, uh, we've had a very, very exhaustive list of things that we've discussed. But I think my, from my perspective is that our company, we actually recently pivoted from a SaaS model to an infrastructure model because, you know, after doing that, I don't want to use the word door to door, but going directly after brand trying to sell a SaaS model where they really don't understand the, the value of adopting a new technology. I think being that infrastructure provider and actually create value for the end user, which are the consumer, will actually really help to drive the adoption of, of this technology. Only when consumers sees the value in this technology and be willing to engage it, then there is return for the brands to invest money to upgrade their tax stack. So I think this is the only way to drive a positive cycle of adoption. And I think user experience is number one. How do you make it easy to use? How do you make intuitive? How do you actually make practical tools that will actually better uh, the customer experience from what they have today? So I think I would encourage all of the Web3 or blockchain developers to think from a consumer user perspective. What is the value I'm creating for the end user? And what does that experience look like? Is it easy to use? Before we go out and build a sophisticated, probably, you know, cutting edge Web3 technology that only the few developers know how to use. So I think that this was something that I wanted to share. It was our recent discovery saying that we built a really great tool, but selling to an enterprise that doesn't really understand the value because they don't see consumer adoption, then we should really focus on the end user. And then we can come back and round out the entire circular sort of ecosystem. Got it. Got it. Well, thank you, Vivian. This is a fantastic conversation, but I know we're running out of time here. So uh, I'd love to close by asking you maybe just some last two regular questions I always ask. The first being, you know, where can people find you, uh, the company, social media, et cetera? And the, the last question being, what's one last message you'd like to leave with the audience? Um, good question. So, uh, you can always find me on our website, which it's mysolaire.xyz, M-Y-S-O-L-A-I-R-E.xyz. And you can find us on Twitter, on, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, using the same handle, um, Solaire. And one last question is, so it's interesting that we are in this interesting, I would say, turning point of whether it's consumer, whether it's retail, whether it's technology that I see, history repeats itself. 
is that, you know, when the, in, the internet first came out, people say, oh, no, it's a bubble. It's never going to last. Look at us now. When mobile payment first came out, it's a fact. It doesn't work. Look at us now. When email came out, Wi-Fi came out, same mentality, same response. I think incumbents are always going to be scared. And, you know, given what we are right now in Web3, because of a series of unfortunate events, Web3 is is sort of left with a bad name. But I wanted to encourage all of the Web3 builders to not give up. I think, you know, there's always going to be incumbents that doesn't like change. But I think us builders just really have to push forward positive changes to really demonstrate that Event tech, that technology advancement will happen. And the only constant that doesn't change is that things are always changing with consumer behavior or technology. So let's not give up. Uh, let's keep building. And I think only when we're all in this together, making positive changes, then we can actually make the, the really good piece of technology shine again. Thank you so much, Vivian. Really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for listening to the New Street X podcast. You can learn more about the guest in the show notes and learn more about New Street at newstreet.com. Please make sure to like, follow, subscribe across YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and more. Thank you so much. See you next time.